the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. We are here. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, folks. We are ready to get started here with another another. Epi- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Episode. <laughs> Episode. Yeah, there you go. Of the Bible Live broadcast. Broadcast. Thanks for being with us. We are in the exciting book of Romans tonight. All this past week on Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we read through the entire book of Romans, which is. Oh, uh, I'm going to say the best. I mean, every book of the Bible has its allure, has its attraction, has its theme, has its uh, contribution to our understanding of God and our own lives and the redemptive plan of God and what's going on in our world. Uh, But the book of Romans is, um, wow, it is a remarkable book of clarity. If you really want to get a sense as a believer in understanding uh, the depth, the width, the breadth, the scope of the redemptive plan of God in our relationship with God, then uh, the book of Romans is a great book for you. Uh, my brother and friend, Al Johnson, a co-laborer in the Lord, is here. Dr. Johnson is in the studio with me. Stacy is with us. We're ready to get started and uh, take your phone calls. We want to invite you to be a part of the program as well as tonight. Throughout the next 90 minutes, we're going to be talking about the Scriptures. We make our way through the Bible every year, every book of the Bible, every verse, every chapter, every book, uh, every year. And we are now, we've just finished reading the books of First and Second Chronicles. Last week, we spent, a, I'd say, a little over, a, maybe close to three weeks entirely, uh, covering the two, uh, these two books of history uh, from the Old Testament, the special uh, history written by uh, Ezra, it is believed, the scribe of Israel, uh, to it's a, it's a selected history to remind the people of the exiles who had been born in exile uh, over in Babylon. Uh, after 70 years, they returning now to Israel. And Ezra wrote this selected history using uh, the books of First and Second Kings as reference and other books of history as well. 
to remind them of who they were and who the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we finished the books of First uh, and Second Chronicles, and we left there now on this past Monday and came over into the New Testament. Well, that's what we do. We alternate back and forth between the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. And we picked up there now after... Uh, the book of Acts, we picked up, picked up at the gospel, uh, the gospel, the book, the letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. Uh, and uh, we read that entire book in four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You can always go back and find all of these powerful readings, the entire book of Romans, uh, if you go to our website, thebiblelive.com, thebiblelive.com, and you can go and... You can find the, um, the the readings from this week, this coming week. They're already posted there, and you can read through, listen to the scriptures. I'll give you a beautiful, flawless reading of the scriptures, a fifteen to twenty minute reading every weeknight, every weekday, Monday through Friday, and the entire Bible every year. So you can go and join us as we go through these books of the Bible, and then on Sunday night we get a chance to uh, comment on the readings from this past week. Uh, and that week, this week, that means that we will be commenting to a great extent on the book of Romans, uh, which is incredibly rich, powerful book uh, that Paul wrote. And we'll tell you a little bit about it in a moment and why, uh, why it's so a, such a powerful uh, book. And we invite you to give us a call, 210-340-9585. That's our phone number, 210-340-9585. If you'd like to call us and comment on any aspect of our relationship with God or of what, something that you may notice from the book of Romans that that excites you, or maybe you have a question about it. What does this mean, or what does that mean? And, and uh, we would be glad to take this. We're not sure. I'm not the Bible answer man. Uh, I'm not sure I can give you um, the authoritative uh, defined answer. I have thoughts on, you know, after... 65 years in this book and 50 years, 50, 55 years in ministry. I obviously I'm going to have opinions and thoughts. I've, I've thought seriously about God's word for many, many years. And I'll try to give you the benefit at least of my gleanings and, and the things I've learned over the, the years through experience, through hearing others, through books, through reading, through ministry, uh, and through, of course, educational sources and so on. So uh, I'll give those to you. But, you know, the Spirit is our best teacher here. He's the one that's going to. Um, bring truth, and he's going to turn that little that little light on in your brain and go give you that aha moment. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. But in the book of Romans, we get a chance to talk about some of these wonderful fundamentals of our faith. And whether you're learning to play soccer or trying to master your new computer or attempting to manage your personal finances, there are certain key ideas and habits that that we all, that you and all of us need to fully grasp. And in the Christian life, there are fundamentals as well, certain key concepts and truths that, that every disciple must come to understand uh, and, and master in our life. Not just understand, but be able to express and, 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 and to understand deeply before faith uh, can grow and, and expand uh, as, as it should, as, uh, as, as God intends in our lives. So in in anticipation of meeting the believers in Rome here, Paul writes this letter to them. He had not been with them. He writes a letter to a church, to a group of people. He's not been with them prior to his uh, letter, which is unusual because most of the letters we see Paul writing, 
the Corinthians and the Galatians and Ephesians and so on. Uh, he has been in their congregations. He has met with them in their homes. He has spent time with them personally and knows them. Here, though, he is writing to people he had not written, he had not been with, and so he lays out the most complete, uh, the most uh, expanded view of of New Testament theology and doctrinal understanding. Now, remember, Paul is a uh, Paul is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He, he's a member of the. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin, he, he's a Pharisee, he knows the Scriptures, but he had to rethink and he had to re come to a new understanding of, of his entire theological um, stand and perspective when he met the Messiah. And, and, that cha- and so he, he went through it. He had to go through that process. And so he lays out for us in the book of Romans the most complete presentation we have, uh, I think, of, of, of New Testament understanding. Uh, because he had not been with them, he couldn't count on some of the things he told them in person. He wrote it down here in these 16 chapters of the book of Romans. And it, it's, it's just a masterful presentation. So we're going to talk about some of those powerful, important points and truths, perspectives that we need to get as believers. And you're welcome to call in and be a part of that as well. We'd love to hear from you tonight. 210 9585. That's our. Uh, Bible Live um, phone number uh, that you can be a part of the program and join with us. 210-340-9585. Before I go any farther, John is not going to let me go any (laughs) further if I don't wish you a wonderful, happy, fulfilling, content, and glorious Father's Day. To all you dads out there, we we acknowledge and and, uh, congratulate you, and we rejoice with you. Uh, and, and celebrating this this day dedicated to recognizing and acknowledge the importance of dad, of fathers in our families. And, and we're, we're, we're coming to understand that better and better. We're celebrating the, the, the Heavenly Father as well. The Heavenly Father as well. That's very well said, John. That's... Uh, that's we want to put that in there as well. We we are that's our primary role as earthly fathers as best we can to reflect the the love and the faithfulness and the protection and the provision that our heavenly Father gives to us, and faithfully point our children, our daughters and our sons and stepsons and all kind of, those that we have a mentoring relationship with as dads, faithfully and accurately correctly point them. To the Heavenly Father. So uh, we congratulate you and we encourage you in that important role that you have as a dad. And you too are welcome to call this evening and be a part of the program as well. Now let's get down and talk a little bit about the book of Romans. Any any general thoughts you might have, uh, Al, and then I'll throw the question over to Stacy as well. Any kind of general perspectives you have of the book of Romans? Is it one of your favorite? Is it one that you... Tell me a little bit about your... As we even enter the book, your your thoughts about it. Yeah, it is one of my favorites. And uh, it starts out very um, elementary in the sense that there are people who complain, if you will, that God can't be fair if he, if people haven't heard the word and they haven't heard about Jesus, how is he going to treat them fairly? Well, in his creation, in the first chapter of the book of Romans, he makes it quite clear that he has given mankind enough information to know that there is a God. So they're going to be held accountable to that. 
and if you're an agnostic or an atheist, uh, you have to deliberately ex expunge that from your innermost being because he's created you with an, an awareness of God. And his creation continues to draw you to him because he's leaving these little hints everywhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so there are several other aspects, uh, chapter 7, uh, 8, 9, 10. Uh, uh, it's just a great book for me to... Yeah, it covers what I like what you said about it because it, it begins his considerations and thoughts about God. He begins talking to uh, people kind of even pre Abrahamic, you know, pre pre Mosaic law. He talks about natural man just here that the only light that we have is the light of creation, the right of this special consciousness and awareness that has given to us as human beings. This inner light that you know differentiates us from the the animal kingdom that we have we can we can objectify ourselves we can separate ourselves from from our environment and, and we can say hmm if I take that path this is going to happen if I take we can reason we can uh, objectively consider our options and our alternatives and and then choose between them that's a that's a freedom and a and an ability we have as human beings that the animal kingdom doesn't have. They react instinctively uh, as they were created to react and, and perform uh, in the animal kingdom. They don't make a definite, like a choice. You don't see uh, lions having a convention or a conference to talk about uh, the humane treatment of zebras. You know, we, they don't worry about it. They, they're out there for lunch. They see, I love that picture of what the guy had. I forgot the guy's name. Stacy may remember it. Uh, he the comedian uh, he was a, he was a comic specialist and he draw he drew you know people in a car driving by a a pasture full of of um, cows and and so on and and it shows the little boy looking out at these cows and it, and it shows that same scene from the point of view of a lion and he just sees these walking hamburgers you know going across <laughs> that's i you know that's that's the way and we as human beings we have that we not only have creation from the from the stars and the sky and the galaxies and the universe and the sun the moon the stars and the movements and the seasons but also down to the down to the molecules and the atoms and the in the wonder of a child you know the development of a child and we have from from the mega cosmos to the to the microcosm God has presented himself and revealed himself to us and his love for his, not only his existence, but his love, his power, his goodness, his provision for us. So we have, we have uh, creation, we have consciousness, this special awareness that we have as human beings, and we have human conscience, the whole idea of right and wrong. Uh, every, every culture that has ever existed on planet Earth that we've ever discovered has some sense of ought. Every culture that's been discovered, whether it's in the deep in the Amazon rainforest or the great dynasties of China and Egypt and so on, ancient empires and, and cultures, they all have in common the, a sense of ought. There are certain behaviors and attitudes that are considered 
laudable and good and positive, and we encourage our children and toward them, and other behaviors and attitudes that are harmful and destructive, and we warn our children, and we may punish our in our culture. We have, may have punishments for those because they're a danger to us. But now we don't all believe the same things are right and wrong in the detail, but the existence of that sense of ought, that sense of right and wrong, where does it come from? And if there is a law, if there is a moral law, there must must be a lawgiver. And that's the idea, that whether it's creation or this special awareness that we have that leads us to think about beauty and art and abstract notions of generosity and sacrifice and goodness, uh, uh, it makes us wonder about life after death and immortality and so on. That's all a part of that special consciousness or conscience. Those three C's, creation, consciousness, and conscience, they, they are what Paul tells us about in the first two chapters of Romans. They, the way that God has presented himself to every human being, every culture, every tribe, every person has ever lived, God presents himself to them and, and reveals himself and that mankind is responsible. He says that we are all without excuse. There's no none of us can say, well, we didn't know. We didn't. God has revealed to everyone, and that, uh, and then when we respond to the light, the light that He has given us, He brings us into an experience of of that relationship with Him only through Christ. There's only one Redeemer, only one Savior, only one means by which God could bring sinful, fallen, rebellious human beings into his presence and redeem them. And that is through the price of the redemptive price has been paid by his own son, the Messiah, Jesus. Every person that ends up in glory in heaven someday will be there because of Jesus. Some of them didn't ever hear his name and know that until they get to heaven, possibly. But he's the only way we make it there to glory into heaven. But as people come to by faith to begin to walk with God, God will show them more and more as well. Not only does he redeem us through the Savior, through the Messiah, but he will reveal more and more of himself. Uh, and that's that's two assurances that he has given us from the Scriptures. And it's right there in Romans 1 and 2. It's one of the great, great passages. I remember as a young child, that used to be a terribly hard question, what, what about the people who have never heard the gospel? And it used to be a hard question to answer, but then, of course, Paul answers it for us, and the Bible is does give a good, clear, rational answer to that question. What about you, Stacey? The book of Romans, does it have any particular allure, any particular truth? or And not maybe just one. Maybe there are a couple of two or three areas that you really um, enjoy uh, the clarity that it has brought maybe to your own life and your own walk with the Lord. Um, sure. Just a quick little word of warning. The uh, Ellie, Ellie's a little fussy tonight, so I'm sorry if you. There, there she is. There she is. Um, There's a little radio star. That's her. That's her debut. That's her Ellie, my yeah. granddaughter now, making her first debut debut at two months. She's going to be a radio star, folks. That's all there is to it. I can tell by that. There you go. Beautiful radio voice. <laughs> Right, she has a lot to say right, about Ellie, Romans. You be good to your um, mommy tonight, now, okay? <laughs> I'm so so. Yeah, she's Give it your best shot, honey. We're not worried. We're good. Sure. Uh, well, I, you know, um, Romans. What to me? Uh, I mean, I guess that not any one. Predi- I think everybody probably agrees. It's just Paul's. Uh, greatest. I mean, his, it's the longest of his uh, of his writings, mm-hmm. and it is 
such a just beautiful, great summary. To me, it has always been just this profound. Uh, <laughs> the, the first time that that somebody was able to kind of put it to to pen and paper or to quill and paper uh-huh. and um and understood it got it you know the, the gospel mm-hmm. and um and i i think it's just every time you read it you get to kind of experience that aha uh-huh, you know yeah. each time yeah. um and and you just, uh, you know, his, and knowing Paul's testimony too, yeah. um, you know that he experienced it, and you get the feeling that it was just as miraculous and wonderful, you know, for him as it is um, for us when we first read it. Um, anyway, you, sorry, I, <laughs> I like the way you said that. I, I bet, I bet Paul really enjoyed writing this letter. I, I suspect he did because. Now, verbally, he had already articulated this probably to the believers in Corinth and Ephesus and uh, other places. He probably worked out and and he had worked out the presentation of these truths uh, in his own mind and heart. And he got practice with them. And then he has this chance to actually put it down in writing. I I think what you said, I bet he, he did really enjoy this was probably a really a magnificent experience for the Apostle Paul to to put it down in writing, and express it and clarify it. I I had never thought of that what it meant to him to write it down, Stace. But that's a good. I think it's a great thought. It really is. Ellie, are you there? <laughs> anyway, Sorry, that's all right, Mama. You, you she, she agrees. Do, but thank you for sharing that. I think as a that, that concept. That con- that idea was worth waiting for. Now, Paul is the author. He, by name, he identifies himself in the very opening verses of the book. He calls himself Jesus Christ's slave. Now, that would be politically clear- incorrect, I suppose, in our time. Maybe even was in his time, because half of the people in the Roman Empire, my understanding is that over half of the people who lived in the Roman Empire were enslaved in some level, in some way. And so, but Paul, without shame and, and with some pride, says he declares him to, to be himself to be Jesus Christ's slave. Uh, and uh, he goes on from there, begins his presentation. He starts way back, but pre-Abrahamic, pre-Mosaic law about just about about human beings in general and how God has revealed Himself and calls us to worship Him and to seek Him. And how, and then he goes on to the rest of the book to develop how God has through, not through general revelation that he presents in those first two chapters, but through special revelation, how that God has revealed himself in the scriptures and the prophets uh, and in through the Messiah himself. And now we live in the full-blown light of the, the, the Messiah having come. So we'll get to that in a moment. Paul is the author. Um, probably written it is thought that he wrote the book from Corinth if I understand uh, he gives us some good indicators of the time he wrote the letter he apparently wrote from Gaius home in Corinth chapter 16 verse 23 tells us about that and in first Corinthians he mentions it as the occasion of his writing apparently he wrote the letter while staying with some some months in Greece and in chapter 20 of Acts, we read about the, that time he spent in Greece there. 
and it suggests that Paul wrote the letter near the end of his last, his third missionary journey, uh, somewhere around 57 A.D. So it's, it's not that long after uh, the time of the Messiah himself. It's still within that. We're still talking but perhaps within the 20, 25-year period after the life and ministry, uh, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus himself. So we uh, have him. He had longed to visit Roman church uh, for some time. Uh, as the Roman historian Suetonius confirms, a great number of Christians lived there as early as 49 A.D. Very early there were believers in Rome. And, and remember, Jesus had connection and contact with, first and foremost, primarily people in, uh, in royalty. Uh, some of the people, commanders and people who were appointed by uh, the, uh, the Roman uh, emperor, some of them, and there were believers in the, in the Roman, among the Roman uh, royalty that he wrote to and mentions by letter, and there were many military people that came to know Paul. By, they were chained to him, and they came to hear the gospel through Paul and came to understand. So there was a, quite a, a Christian community already in Rome, and Paul speaks to the, their healthiness. He speaks and says that your faith is being spoken of throughout the world. You know, you're, you're, it, it's remarkable. He, may, he compliments them on it. So evidently there was a fairly healthy uh, congregation of Jews and Gentiles there in Rome. And he writes this beautiful letter that is so complete theologically, doctrinally, more complete than, than much of anything that uh, we find. Now they do say that the book of Galatians, Galatians is what they call Romans light, uh, I've heard. And it was written not to a single congregation. There's not a city of Galicia. Galicia, Galicia was a region, and there were different congregations throughout the region of Galicia. And they would send, they would copy his letter and send it around to the different congregations. Galatians has been thought of as a as kind of Romans light. He covers many of the same themes and principles, but not as extensively as we see dealt with in the book itself. So that's our our background on it. We can learn so many things about. Uh, God, what we understand about God in the book of Romans is the righteous judge, his empowering spirit. Uh, we'll talk about some of these, the Holy Spirit. The, Paul expands on that theme of who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is in our lives today and the absolute sovereignty of God. Those are some things we can pick up about God, about ourselves, these grand, great truths. Yeah, go ahead. I just want to make sure you're ready to wind it up here because you're getting real close to the time. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate hearing that. Did I give you? Did you give me the two to three minutes to go to? One minute, I guess. We've got about 15, 20 seconds, actually. Well, we'll come back to that. We've, we've talked about the intro, the book, the author, the time of his writing. Uh, we'll grow to see every person's need, God's gracious solution to the problem of sin, God's wonderful provision for our lives, uh, the worldwide redemptive plan of God, and, and we'll see the eventual, the intended outcome of God's redemptive plan as well. All of that is found in the book of Romans here on Father's Day in South Texas in this great city of San Antonio. We invite you to give us a call if you'd like to be a part of the Bible Live broadcast tonight as we consider the great book of Romans. Our phone number is 210-340-9585. 
9585. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Jesus, your son. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. The power of the Father's eyes, the Father's love. In our lives, the Heavenly Father, and yet as we celebrate and and, uh, commemorate this Father's Day across the United States. Uh, we are, contemplate the, the power of fatherhood and what the, the incredible honor and privilege we have as uh, men to be uh, heads of families and to, uh, with our, together with our wives to raise these children in the admonition and nurture of the Lord and point them effectively and faithfully to the God, the fatherhood of all humanity, the, the Heavenly Father himself. What a privilege we have. Al, you are one of my great, great heroes, I tell you the truth, particularly in this area of fatherhood. Uh, I really mean this. Uh, he, he, he laughs because we kid each other a lot. But uh, Al is a dad, and, and there are a number of you, of you out there that I've met through the years here in our great city who are fathers not only because of the children that you have engendered, that you have raised uh, uh, yourselves in your homes and biologically, but so very many of you uh, are foster parents and they're adoptive parents and that you have you have really taken people into your home and young people into your homes and families voluntarily, uh, even like myself. I was, I was an orphan and, and uh, people took me in. With all my problems and all my difficulties, they took on the headache of, of Soapy Dollar <laughs> and raising and loving me. As, and and, and I, I just I feel a great admiration for men and women who are willing to adopt children and take them into their home and uh, with even sometimes problematic or difficult children. And you've done that, Alan. I, I certainly congratulate you and, and wish you uh, the happiest of Father's Days as well. Because did you get a chance to? You did. 
you, Al works with us out at Lackland with the basic trainees, and we get to see many hundreds and hundreds of young men and women that we get to mentor and point toward the Father. But you were late getting off today. Did you get to meet them for lunch, or did you all get together after all? I, I did not, but I got some text messages. Oh, wonderful. Okay. <laughs> and, and from a granddaughter. Well, I'm sorry you happened to be late for that, but I, okay. you're, in a, you're a magnificent example of that, and I wish you a happy Father's Day. You wanted to add to some of your statements about uh, from the first couple of chapters of the book of Romans, classic chapters on how God, general revelation, how God has revealed himself to all of humanity through the centuries, through the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the creation around us, in us as human beings, and you know the, the things that we mentioned, creation, consciousness, and conscience. Well, God continually through his Old Testament uh, reminds us that he is the creator. The prophets remind us that he is the creator. And in Psalms, uh, the 19th Psalm, David puts it this way. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. So it's a a concept of God has created this. He's put it on display to help us come to an awareness of his existence. But it's not just that he exists. He is a personal God. He is in his creation And uh, we slip back to Romans 1, these attributes. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So he is is going to be uh, judging mankind. And mankind is going to be without excuse because he's made it extremely plain that God exists. And it looks to me, and I think you would agree, Sophie, that as we respond in little tiny chunks to this awareness of God, he reveals more of himself to us, especially through his word. But he continues to reveal himself to us. And that's an unending process, especially for those of us who have agreed to become sons of our Heavenly Father. That's one of the great principles that Jesus raises out for us is that when we respond to what little we are given, God is faithful to give us more. He's eager to give us more light, more uh, of himself, more understanding, because as we respond, and that's actually the, uh, uh, as far as I can see, that is the great, great principle involved in the parable of the talents, the five talents. that we, We may have different be given different amounts of light uh, about God. But when, but the, the question is, are we responding to what we're given? And when we do respond positively to what we're given, then God is faithful to give us more. And that's one of the principles that comes out that Jesus mentions at the end of that parable of the talents, to whom much is given, more will be given. Much is required, but also more will be given when we respond rightly. Go ahead, go ahead. You, you. I think I don't know if you finished that point yet. Well, um, I was just thinking when you were when you were talking there that about this fellow that you spoke to in Mongolia, yeah, who had uh, been aware of God, I guess, 
for mm-hmm. the most part of his life. The sun, the moon, the stars, yeah. you know. It's and so <laughs> you, when you had a chance to reveal to him the name of Jesus, who he'd never heard of before, yeah. it was like a light bulb came on, and it, this was the answer to yeah. all of his search. You, he knew it was, this was the God he had been searching for. He understood. I, I, I'll never forget his words. All my life, he said, I've searched for God. Tonight, I finally met him. And I learned that his name is Jesus. <laughs> I, I just, I, I thought immediately of Romans 1 and 2. I thought, wow, that's just come alive, the passage has. And, uh, and it is one of the great truths. Now, Paul goes on from there. Uh, frankly, not only the, the existence and the presence, but he, these great principles of, uh, you know, Bill Bright wrote a little booklet many, many years ago. And, and he's not the first one to write a tract. I mean, I'm not... Uh, that's not in the issue. But Bill uh, was about evangelism. He was about sharing essential truths about God. Uh, he, I, in fact, in, before the writing of the Four Spiritual Law booklet, m- many of you have seen the little gold booklet, or they come in different colors now. And so uh, over two billion of them have been printed in over a thousand languages around the world of this little booklet called Four Spiritual Laws. And I used to think of that as just simply a, you know, a little gospel presentation. And some people, most people, still kind of think of it as that. Uh, and I, I, I was an evangelist from the time I was six, seven years old. I was sharing my faith with others and sharing. And the, using the book of Romans, they used to call, there's a little presentation of the gospel called the Roman Road. And, and you, you share it through scriptures, uh, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9 and 10. And you can share this simple message of the gospel. But Bill wrote these four spiritual laws uh, presentation. And uh, he wrote it for our staff, basically. we were, The staff were sharing the gospel on college campuses. And he, they were taught, they were trained how to share the simple message of the gospel, using writing it out on a napkin, these four spiritual principles or laws. And, and then finally, some business people said, Bill, you know, we, the people who supported the ministry said, wow, these are great. You need to write these down because we'd like to use them for our business contacts. And, and so, so it came something he, wanted, he needed to write down, and it has become this incredible tool that God has used around the world. Um, millions of John and Mary Christian believers, just normal Christian, are able now to convey and share their faith in Christ easily uh, using a simple little tool like the four spiritual laws. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is because I know the story behind the writing of the four laws. You know, Bill has told the staff that many times, uh, or, or told us. But the thing that I've most recently seen and come to understand about it's not just a simple little gospel presentation. These four spiritual principles, and I've noticed it because of the Bible Live. I read through the entire Bible every year, and you begin to see that they really are truly spiritual principles. Just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe around us, there are spiritual principles. There are spiritual laws that are in place that govern our relationship with God. And you see those spiritual laws in every book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Almost in every page you can find some expression of God's love, some expression of, of, of God's holy requirements, of, of, our, uh, of the problem of, of man's selfishness and sin, some 
and, and then we see some expression of God's redemptive purpose and intent to redeem us, to forgive us, to give us back. And, and then we come to understand, even as in the book of Joshua, Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. We're constantly called throughout the Bible, choose, choose life, choose me, choose to follow me, obey me, trust me. And so you see those principles. It's not just a little innocent little track. Those are powerful, life-changing, uh, directional change, uh, principles that God has given us. God loves you. He has a wonderful plan. There is a problem of sin and evil. It's real in our world, and I don't know who of us has to kind of be convinced of that. Uh, but sin is real, and there's wickedness and selfishness uh, 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 in us as human beings and around us. And then, but there is love. There is. God has made a provision. God is calling us to Himself, and He has made a way for us to be reconciled to be to Him, to be made right, <coughs> to be forgiven. But it's an individual choice <coughs> that each of us must make, and so. We see that throughout the Bible, and, and here in the book of Romans, uh, we see those principles brought out clearly from the very beginning. But there are some other principles moving beyond general revelation and so on. Paul goes in there to talk now in chapters 3, 4, and 5. He begins to talk about in the history of God's revelation of himself, that that uh, in Adam and Eve, in, in the early era, and in the time of the patriarchs, he talks about Abraham. He talks about the giving of the law, about uh, about the Mosaic Covenant. He, he talks about how God goes throughout human history. He has been revealing more and more of himself and more and more detail continually about that redemptive plan. It's always been uh, a substitutionary atonement. That's always been the plan of God, that he would he would forgive. He would find a way to deal with sin, to exercise and experience and express his judgment, uh, his right, righteous and, and just condemnation of wickedness and evil uh, and, and evildoers, but he has also uh, found a way to express his love. And that's what the cross of Jesus Christ is. It, is it, it expresses these two aspects of the character of God that are at odds with each other. On the one hand, we know that God is just and holy and righteous and fair and all. So sin must be judged. Sin must be atoned. It must. There are consequences to rebellion and sin. And, and so we see the justice and the holiness of our God. On the other hand, there this aspect, God is love, that he cares, that he desires a relationship with us. But those two truths are at odds with each other. And they come to have a perfect denouement, their perfect uh, reconciliation of those two truths in the cross of Jesus Christ. The, the wrath of God is poured out on Christ. Uh, he takes the, the, the condemnation, the judgment of our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for our sakes. And, and the judgment of God fell upon him so that now those of us, as we place our faith and trust in him, we are able to be forgiven. We are able uh, that God's judgment has been poured out and exercised in Christ in our place. He has substituted for us just as the the lambs and the goats and, and the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament. They were figures of this great truth that God was going to forgive us. As John the Baptist said, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we see these principles all this, through the scriptures and we see them now. Paul begins, begins to walk through 
the eras, the different times of, of, of revelation, the Abrahamic time, you know, the Noahic time before. And he walks through and shows that it's the same message that God is sharing. Now, the redemptive plan, he gives more and more detail about it, about the Messiah, about the Redeemer, as we go through the scriptures, and then we finally come to the wonderful time of the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the coming, the Messiah took on flesh, and it actually happened. Now Paul is writing after the fact, and he's saying, okay, I have now reviewed all the truth that God has given us before you know, because of his, uh, his education as a Pharisee, his understanding of the biblical revelation. He said, now I see uh, this this is all one continuing revelation that God has given us of himself and of his redemptive plan for humanity. And, and as you've mentioned, he talks about those who rejected God and all this sort of thing. But God has revealed himself, and he's given us a, a way to know him. And then he starts in chapters, let's say, I would say chapters 3 and 4, to 3 and 4, he talks about that redemptive plan. The sinful nature of man, up to chapters four, five, and six, six twenty-three. That that He's forgiven us, and in Christ we have the, the the redemptive plan of God. And then he starts talking about the the truths that we can now have as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. And there are some really exciting, very dramatic principles that are mentioned to there. Um, not only does he answer the question, what about people who have never heard the gospel, but he declares God's love for every human being and his plan for us to know him here on earth and on into eternity. He talks about human religion, uh, man's effort to reach God and know God. Sometimes religion can be the, the greatest enemy of true faith and relationship with God. Uh, religion can be, can be distorted and twisted to become an object within itself. Religion is not an object within itself. Religion is a, uh, God is placed within man a, a, an instinct to seek God, to worship. Uh, but sometimes we end up worshiping false gods. We, we make ourselves gods and we create our own religious systems in order to lord over other people and men. So religion in and of itself is in, in and of itself is not it's not evil and wicked, but it can be because it can distort and distract from the from true worship of the living God. And and so I, I remember hearing the saying that religion has been described as man's best effort to know or give expression to know God or give expression to uh, to our longing for and our belief in God. Uh, and it can be a good thing, but we when we come to faith in Christ, Christianity is not religion in its in its basis. In its core, uh, I know there's such a thing called a Christian religion, uh, no doubt about it, but not every building with the cross on it is a healthy, solid, truly Christian church. And not every man who wears a collar, not everyone who calls a reverend or pastor, or this, not everyone. We, we have to be very, very careful about that. But we do know that uh, religion in itself is not the objective. Uh, Christ did not come to start a new religion. He became to reveal God and to help men and women experience a relationship with God. But then when we come to know God and we want to give expression to our faith and our trust and the, and the beauty of our God and worship God, then we, do, we can have pure religion. We can have a religion that is healthy, 
that is positive and is based on the truth of who God is and his redemptive plan for all of man. And so that's what we long for is healthy congregations. Uh, And used to you could kind of, to some degree, I guess, I don't know if this is true or not. You could almost, denominationally, it kind of broke down that way. Nowadays, it seems like you can find healthy, uh, now, and I'm not talking about we agree in every detail of theology or doctrine. That can differ a little bit. There is some freedom for individual perspectives, but the idea of the fundamentals of our faith in Christ and our, our, our relationship with God through Christ, that there are some powerful truths that unite us more than divide us as believers, whether we're, no matter what denominational background or you know traditional or church background we might have. <laughs> so now you just have to listen more. You, you can't know, I don't think, just simply by the label that's on the bottle. I don't know what you, do you have, maybe you have a response to that. Al, you've been around a long time. You've been in the military. You've tracked. You've been a part of many different congregations throughout these decades. Uh, how do you, as you read the Book of Romans and kind of get the insight of the New Testament on on the Church of Jesus Christ? How have you come to look at church and church experience? Well, from time to time, I'm asked, uh, "Well, what denomination are you?" They they know I'm a Christian, but they want to know a little bit more about what I believe. And I say, well, actually, I'm, I use the Bible as God gave it to us to know how to obey, to know how to serve him, to know how to do what's right. and Worship him, follow yeah. him, all the different aspects. Yeah. And so uh, I typically end up uh, today, usually, uh, if I change churches, it will be in a non-denominational setting, a Bible church. The pastor will be preaching expositorily he will be going through a book of the bible and revealing what he already knows or has studied and he knows from greek or hebrew things that are not easily discernible to the average reader of the bible in english it's it's just not there Mm -hmm. and so i'm looking for um, veracity i'm looking for do you elevate god's word as the standard by which we must live by which god is going to judge us and so denominations for me are not very helpful in that sense, although the denominational statements often look pretty good. You know, the doctrinal statements of certain denominations look pretty good. But what happens in that congregation and in that church setting with that pastor is very important to me that I don't have to be on guard, that they're going off track here. We're going down a, a an alleyway that's that's not true, so I, I want to be, I want to be certain if I can before I align with attending a church on a long term basis that truth is being taught rather than somebody's opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I often ask, even trainees sometimes when we have an opportunity at Lackland, these young believers, twenty twenty five years of age, that come to Christ. Many of them, are, not many, but some of them are quite mature and they come from healthy congregations and young Christian men and women from all over our country and it's a very unique opportunity we have not only do we get a chance to introduce many hundreds and thousands even that was a wonderful experience but uh, we we get a chance to visit and talk with them and sometimes I have asked them in some of our classes where we're emphasizing the importance of, of, of the local church and being a part of a congregation of a fellowship of believers uh, and I asked them what 
What do you think? What do some of you think for some of these new believers? What should they look for in a congregation when they go to visit the church nearest their house, or they're looking for a new believer, or they new to move to a new city, a new part of town, or whatever? And you're looking for a church. I'll throw the question out to you. What What do you think, or say maybe five or six, six or eight of 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 the kind of things that you would look for in a healthy congregation? Yeah. Uh, and, of course, like I said before, it's no longer easily identifiable just by the label that's on the bottle. Uh, I would like to say that there's some denomination. And there are some that seemingly they've they've been through a lot of trouble. They've been through splits. And they've been through people are, these days have had to make a decision a lot of times to stand for the gospel and stand for the truth of the word or to have, or to compromise the scriptures for cultural purposes and so on. But uh, what do you, what would you look for in general in a in a healthy congregation? Let me preface preface my comments mm-hmm. by a little experience I had in the Ukraine many many years ago, uh, early nineties. Um, we were given the freedom to witness in schools, and I met with this principal uh, who was asking me, you know, so how do you know what the right thing is? Uh, you know, we got this denomination, we got these Jehovah's Witnesses, we got these, this, this, this. And I told her, uh, it's this book for me. I, I need to know if the church or the preacher or whatever is mm-hmm. using this book. And so that separates out the, the wheat from the chaff for me. What else would you say? What other, princi- what other characteristics would you look for in a healthy congregation? Well, I would look at some of their leadership. How do they de- how do they develop elders and bringing truth and holding people accountable? And I suppose you'd look for servant leadership. Servant, absolutely mm-hmm. true. And mostly, in the case of deacons, they're not voted in so much as they're uh, they're acknowledged. They are already serving in that mm-hmm. capacity, and now we're putting the label on you. You are a deacon. I like to see love. In the fellowship, if you can see people hugging and praying for each other and caring for each other, you can see caring for the needs of each other, uh, being responsive to each other in the Lord. Um, Missions, an interest in reaching out to the community, young people, people that are hungry, that need clothing, that need health concerns. You like to see that. There's a vision of missions to the world and serving together to meet the needs of the world around them in the name of Jesus. All of those things can be really evidences of a good, healthy congregation. Well, there's our music. It's already come up again, our second segment. We're going to come back for our final consideration. We're going to consider to kind of base our comments from the revelation that God has given to us in the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul in the first century. And so we'll come back for our final segment in just a few minutes. We still would welcome your phone calls, 210 340 9585. We'll come back in just a few brief moments. Don't you dare go away. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Make a wretch his 
Is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar? Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulder. How deep the Father's love. Once again, we come back with some music that commemorates a special day, Father's Day, around the, uh, the United States. Here in our great city, we congratulate and uh, honor you as dads out there this special day and encourage you in your labor of love to be faithful, uh, to be gracious, uh, to be as godly as we can and reflect the, the grace and the compassion and the patience uh, and uh, the, even sometimes tough love is needed uh, to have the courage to love and direct our families in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in His love. Uh, I just want to encourage you. Some of the great tasks of life is parenting, mothers and fathers, and this is the day we we encourage our fathers in, in that task. Well, we're coming back now. Our final considerations of the of the book of Romans, and Stacy has not been able to join with us so much because of being a mom today, and uh, uh, she and her husband are busy taking care of this newborn baby. I miss her responses because I know she has some thoughts about the book of Romans that would be wonderful for us to hear and helpful. But I do want to uh, talk to you, Al. We were just talking off the air about something. And you brought up a very important point. I think that it's part of coming out of the book of Romans because I was saying uh, Romans, Paul talks now about he develops the gospel message and part of his presentation is about the reality of sin. And he uh, the evil and wickedness is real. And we have a real, I think we have a real struggle with that in our culture today. We, in, in, our, in our urge and our desire to be, to be tolerant and to be loving, and maybe even some of that's well-intended, I don't know for sure. Uh, not all of it for sure, I know. But it, some of that could be us as believers trying to be gracious and loving toward us. But uh, at the same time, it's an important principle that the reality of sin and wickedness and evil uh, is true. And it's it's not uh, <laughs> we don't get to pick and choose. I, 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 you had a thought or two during the break about what the book of Romans, what the Bible tells us clearly. Uh, one of those significant truths is about that second spiritual law. Man is sinful. And because of our sin, we 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 can't experience that the love and the forgiveness and the relationship with God that that He offers to us. Talk, talk a little bit more about that. I think our listeners would identify with that as well. Well, you mentioned earlier, Sophie, that uh, we mankind has an, a sense of right and wrong, or ought and mm-hmm. ought not. And uh, what we've lost in our society over the last I don't know several decades is the ability to directly confront what is sin. We don't read about it. We don't hear about it. We hear people making mistakes or we're not taking uh, accountability for what we've done wrong. And a a Christian psychiatrist by the name of Carl Menninger uh, 
wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. And this was written back in 1973. It's almost 50 years ago already. And uh, he attributed, uh, he was prescient. He was looking forward. He says, uh, the day would come when sin would no longer be an element of the human vernacular. Well, when was the last time you listened to television or radio where they were talking about sin? We don't, we don't categorize it as sin. It's a choice. It's a lifestyle. It's a this. It's a something. But it's not sin. It's a behavioral disorder at worst. And, you know, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we are we really almost everything. Yeah, and I don't know why, where it comes from. Some may have come from a, an idea of, of sympathy and, and uh, you know, we, we, we want to be understanding and tolerant and, and helpful. And, uh, but we've come to the point now where we tolerate and we not only tolerate evil, wicked, destructive behaviors and attitudes, but now we actually have come to the point where we are encouraging them in our, in our zeal for this. He speculated that the explanation of sin and wrongdoing would be replaced by rationalizations excusing individual accountability. Well, we're there for well, sure. Yeah, we're and, there. But he was already seeing this and looking forward in, in 1973 when he wrote that book that uh, it's already on a decline. We, we don't want to accept responsibility for our, our sin. When we're confronted with it, your, your mother catches Johnny with his hand in the cookie jar, and she says, Johnny, get your hand out of the cookie jar. I'm not in a cookie jar. What, 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 what are you talking about, Johnny? Get your hand out of the cookie jar. What are you jar. talking about, Mommy? I don't have my hand in the cookie jar. We just <laughs> yeah. don't normally want to acknowledge our, our error, our sin, and uh, disobedience. And so we obfuscate, if you will, and try to make a a smoke screen about what happened. We, we make a story that makes it sound and minimize what we did wrong. And we do it thinking, I suspect, that we're trying to help the sinner. We're trying to help the person because we're afraid of being condemning. And the, and the point is, is that we're not condemning, but there are behaviors and there are attitudes that are sinful and wrong and selfish and and that they are destructive, not only to the culture and the society around us and the people around, but to the person, the individual himself. And when we don't seek to bring them to the understanding and help them find the resources and the power and the strength, the forgiveness, yes, the cleansing they need, the, but experience the power they need to be delivered from some of these, uh, these impulses they have to kill, to, to rob, to steal, to, to do terrible thing wicked things and yet we we are uh, i i don't know what it is in the society i i don't know and christians in some measure seem we seem to be carried along with it i and i understand none of us want to be legalistic another none of us want to be judgmental and condemning and and so on and and we even kind of belittle, you know, even the scriptures. We talk about the Old Testament is full of a condemning, angry God, and so on. No, the Old Testament is full of grace and patience and and love, and God is. But at the same time, sin does have a consequence, and a lot of times, what we're experiencing, Suzanne, my wife, brings this out quite often. That a lot of times, what we're experiencing, 
uh, when we sin. It's not even really just God's condemnation. Yes, God is rightfully and 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 correctly judging and condemning sin. He is holy and righteous. But a lot of times what people are experiencing is just the natural consequences of their own selfishness and, and, and evil and broken relationships and wounded people around them and wounding themselves and hurt, you know, I don't know what is the end of that. Do do we ever? Do, do, most of the time, many times when I've gotten when I've gotten into a time like that, of of a sinful pattern or behavior, and I'm I'm just sadly I have to come to the sad end of it. I have to have a, a, a harmful, destructive experience that makes me see that oh man, Lord, like David had. Yeah. Here David is a young man, he's following after God, and then he has this terrible adulterous affair, and his lust takes uh, advantage, of, and, and then he, he's led by that to, to have the, the husband of this woman killed. and So it's adultery, it's murder, it's, be, it's shameful behavior toward his own generals, his own military followers, and, and he tries to get away with it for a year, uh, and then the prophet Nathan shakes his bony finger in his face and says, you're the man, you're the, you've sinned. And, and David, to his credit, at that point, but it, it's after he comes to this terrible, wicked consequences of his own adultery. And the nation experiences great heart, his family. They have violence in their family and there's division and you know, his children kill each other and so on. There are terrible consequences to David's sin. But he does, as you said, he does when recognize he, his sin. He, when he was confronted, first Nathan constructed an, a narrative that sounded innocuous, except at the end of that, he was describing all of that activity to David, and he pointed, you're the man. That's There's like, this guy who, who stole this one sheep this right. other guy had. He, had. he had a lot of sheep his own, but he stole this one sheep. And David gets all mad and says, well, bring him to me. I, I, that's terrible he what he did. Die. He yeah. must die. Oh, not so fast, boss. You're you, the man. You're the man. <laughs> you, it's you, David. And so yeah. immediately his response was he prostrated himself before the Lord and said, against you, O Lord, I have sinned against you and you only. So he didn't try to deny or minimize or if she hadn't been wearing that or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He just acknowledged the fact that he screwed it up big time and he was putting himself at God's mercy. And he wrote Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 in retrospect about that, that he was put under God's judgment for he was pressed, he was squished, (laughs) he was -hmm. was, uh, miserable. For those, times. yeah, he even talks about it in, the, in Psalm 32, and, and yet at the same time he was forgiven. He experienced God's grace and forgiveness, but at the same time, the consequences of the sin. His house was divided. He, he had rebellious children. He, uh, there are a number of consequences that he, that, uh, that he bore because of his sin. And I and I'm wondering when America, when our culture, when our society, when God's people, when are we going to rise up and begin to let to you know we shape our culture we we help shape the entertainment industry we help shape uh all different elements of our culture and our society our politics the public the policies that we follow we're the ones who have allowed uh, abortion to become the terrible scourge that it is in our society 
um, so many other areas we could mention. When will we? Is it how bad does it have to get? What consequences will we have to experience before, or if we ever do, truly repent and and turn back to God and and, and find restoration, find forgiveness and healing, and and not only not in con- condemnation, but like I say, when we do that, when we compromise with evil, we're not doing. Our, our our friends and neighbors and friends and family members that are caught up in these terrible behaviors and these lifestyles, we're not doing them a favor. Oh. By we can love them, we can confront, we can offer resources, we can offer assistance, but we're not helping by saying, "Well, it's all right. Everybody does it." We and no, let's all do it. You know, that's not going to be the solution. You mentioned uh, what what kind of a thing would I be looking for? Things in a church. I, I won't name the church. I just want you to know that strong leadership and elders confronting sinful behavior are important. Yeah. And there was a case in this particular case where the man was refusing to co- uh, come back together and reconcile with his wife after whatever. And they did the Matthew thing. Mm-hmm. They went to him. They did everything that they were supposed to do to try and get him to acknowledge his sinful behavior and reconcile. And he wouldn't. And in front of the whole congregation, they mentioned what he had done and why he was being expelled from that church Mm -hmm. because he was unwilling to accept the discipline that was necessary by Scripture. And I found that to be a very refreshing um, concept because most churches, they want to keep things pretty quiet. Don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. We don't talk about Mm -hmm. that. So... Well, sooner or later, we'll have to end that kind of, we will have to be faithful and true to Scripture and to our Lord, and it will be a positive, good thing. I don't, I don't know if Stacy might be with us or not. Uh, I know she's been listening as we continued forward in Romans. Uh, but Stacy, if you do are listening and can, she's uh, being a mom to her little uh, two-month-old baby. But if you would like to log in here and share an, an, an insight or a thought, that could be fine as well, Stace. We, we welcome you. Just let us know <laughs> if and when you do want to. Well, the themes that we read about in the book of Romans, and we don't have a lot of time now, but we read about God's love for every human being. We, got, we read about the role of religion. And we, we started to get involved with that a little bit earlier. Uh, and we talked about the theme of freedom in chapter 5, verse 11. Christian freedom is not the freedom to do whatever we want. And maybe this is a a principle that comes to bear in our culture today. We think of freedom as, wow, I can do anything I want. And any wild, terrible, outrageous behavior that we want to have, we, can, that we call that freedom. You know? And, and the, in the scriptures, freedom is not the ability to do anything you want. True freedom is the ability to do what is right, to do the right thing, to, to love God, to be uh, right and good. Uh, that is what free, and that is what Christ has purchased for us in His death on the cross, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to enable us to experience the right, the good, the holy, the healthy, and, and that is true freedom. Uh, the redemptive plan of God is revealed. The substitutionary atonement. I'm looking at some of these principles. I outlined some of these uh, uh, tonight as I was preparing for the that, that principle that the just shall live by faith. That that. Paul brings that out very clearly from Abraham and Moses. And you know, he 
from his even his Jewish background, uh, he says he reveals to us that the law, the intent of the law, is to is a tutor. It's a school teacher that brings us to show us our need of a savior and brings us to the the Messiah, brings us to uh, Jesus, the Messiah. And so uh, the just shall live by faith, not by not by works that we come in. We earn our way to God, and so, but by faith and by his forgiveness and cleansing. And we, in chapter 5, we studied the, the concept of justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified means that when we are in Christ, when we have trusted him, God sees us just as if I'd never sinned justified and uh, so that's that's an important truth a uh, justification and then the concept of sanctification that we are being saved not only we have been saved from the power uh, from the penalty of sin we are being saved continually now the continuing work of god's spirit in our lives to deliver us from the power of sin uh, in our life that's part uh, sanctification is part of the work of salvation as well uh, in present tense, we are being saved day to day uh, from the power and control of sin, influence of sin over our lives, the world, the flesh, the devil around us. We have the ability by the Holy Spirit. And, of course, when you get into chapter 8, it talks about the person and the role of God's Spirit in the believer's life. Uh, how we, we have an old nature and a new nature. That's talked about in Romans chapters 6 and 7. Uh, uh, we, we talk about in, in Adam all die, in Christ all live. In chapter 5, he talks about, he, just, he makes a difference between the, the, just the human aspect. We are descendants biologically of Adam and Eve. But the spiritual aspect, we are now born again in Christ. We are we are a new we have a new creation. We're not just it's not just a metaphor. It's not just a figure of speech. We become a new person, and we have a new nature that God has placed within us. A new impulses to love God, to want God, to want the good, the right. Uh, and you might test out your own your your own uh, if you're kind of wondering about your own relationship with God. That's one of the things. Some t- some people think that. The Christian life, the forgiveness that God gives us, and and we're forgiven, we're cleansed, and they take that more or less as a license to just sin more. Oh, God forgives me, so it doesn't matter. I'm just that is not that is a sign in reality that we've missed the mark, that we we're not we have not been saved, we're not truly born again. Because if we are born again, it's because we desire God, we want righteousness. We want holiness. We want purity. We want to live for God. And, and we, we understand we may sin, but we don't, we don't revel in it. We don't, I was sinking deep in sin. We, you know, we, don't, we don't enjoy it. Uh, we'll never enjoy sin. Uh, we, there may be for a season, just for some temporary, but deep in our heart of hearts, if we're born again, there will be a part of us that says, God, I don't want that. Deliver me. I want that out of my life. And, and that we need to respond to that impulse from the Lord. Because that is a signal and a sign that we truly are born again. There's a new nature, impulse to follow God, to please God, to obey God in our lives. And Paul talks about that in chapters uh, 5. He talks about we're justified. Then he talks about sanctification. We're being transformed 
uh, how then Adam all die, but in Christ, uh, when Christ comes to live, there's a new, a new birth. We'll become a new person. The life of Christ now is a spiritual DNA. The spiritual genetics of Christ is at work in our life. And we will never, we may sin, but we'll never like it. We'll never want it deep in our heart of hearts. And we need to give him, to confess that sin, ask God to, to take away that old nature, to diminish its impulse and its power over us, and to strengthen the new impulse, that new nature within us. All of that is in Romans chapter 6 and 7. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, just as we are saved by the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, how much more then shall we be saved by his life? It's a wonderful, wonderful passage, chapter 6 of Romans. The life of Christ, the saving life of Christ within us. Not just his death saves us from the penalty of sin, but it's his life within us that delivers us from the power and the influence of sin over our lives. Then, oh, we talk about eternal life, our security uh, that we can have in our relationship with God. It talks about the Holy Spirit in chapter 8 of Romans. The Holy Spirit now is at work within us, our faithful escort in our in our journey with God. He's going to faithfully and unfailingly escort you and me to glory. Uh, and we talked about he is indwelling powerful presence. That's his commitment to us. His indwelling presence is God's commitment to us as his children. The Spirit of God is the paraclete that Jesus promised that would come alongside pouring out his spirit in all of mankind. But our faith response is to be filled, to, to trust in the indwelling, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, to trust in his guidance and his control and direction in our life. That's to be filled with the Spirit. And then in chapter 8, he mentions uh, this idea of the foreknowledge and predestination. And some truths, uh, we don't have time to go into them in depth tonight, but uh, the, God knows he has called us, he's for foreknown and he has called us to himself and but he has predestinated us those that are in christ the predestination there that's spoken of is not a predestination to be saved but he has predestination he has predestined those of us who are in christ if we are truly in christ he has predestined us predestinated us predestined us i'll get it right in a minute he has predestined us to be conformed to the character and the image of our savior jesus that's was found in Romans eight twenty nine, and then and throughout there he's talking about this sanctifying process that God is going to carry out. And in Romans thirteen he talks about the role of human government, and and the role of government and God, God controls in the affairs of men and nations, and He's going to give us the government we deserve. And so if we're fussing and and uh, complaining about our government. We as believers have little room to complain, uh, I think sometimes, and I think it was Lincoln that brought that out, we usually get the government that we deserve. All of that stuff is found in the book of Romans. I hope that you'll read it and enjoy it and be edified by it. See you next week, folks, here on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. 
visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.